Joining us now, our good friend, Mr. Al Bat. Good morning, Al, on this beautiful Tuesday. Boy, it's a lovely day, and I'm using a Rabbit Ears Motel pen, I've noticed here. <laughs> I spoke out in Steamboat Springs a while back, and they give you a little packet, uh, a little bag of swag, I guess, and uh, postcards and that sort of thing. And one was the Rabbit Ears Motel, which I stayed in, which was a lovely hotel, or motel, but I'd forgotten I had the pen until it magically appeared in my hands. I'm not sure how that happens sometimes. Hey, I want to say thank you to all the good folks at First Presbyterian Church in Mankato and all the, the good people at Yaya, the students and everything. And also, I want to thank, the, there's a celebration they put on at Lural Lake, and uh, I was going to be over there and lead a bunch, of, I think, fourth graders around for uh, look at birds and things and the weather you know it's odd when the weather doesn't behave in minnesota but on this particular day it did not behave so they had to cancel it on the day i was going to be there but i i just want to say thanks to everybody who was involved in that i know it's a lot of work running down um, doofuses like me to get us all to show up at the right time and it's hard to train us so it was a uh, thanks and uh, maybe we'll do it again but uh, you know if if the weather behaved all the time i don't know what we'd do either it uh, it gives us a lot of excuses well i don't think i can make it because the weather doesn't look good so Hey, colorful spring birds are part of nature's sneaky plan to get us to pay attention. There's a lot of them out there. I was driving around yesterday, and if you're on a country road and you see orioles flying around, very often there's plum trees there. And if you see random lilac bushes, there was likely a house or farm there once upon a time. George Washington and Thomas Jefferson grew lilacs in their gardens. And Margaret Miller wrote, The smell of moist earth and lilacs hung in the air like wisps of the past and hints of the future. I saw my I first have, um, my first Oriole out at the lake house a couple days ago, and I was really excited, the beautiful orange color of that, because orange is my favorite color. And, and then I saw a little hummingbird. I don't know if he hit a window, but he had uh, oh. met his demise and, and a cute little thing when I was picking some weeds and things, and there he was. So I'm guessing probably a window maybe yeah you know and sometimes they just go like we do you use up all your allotted time on earth Aww. and you just uh, you go so um we don't often think about that with birds because most of them probably come to another kind of end but that's that's got to happen once in a while too i have uh rose-breasted grosbeaks are doing a concert out there a concert of whistling in my yard and it it just thrills me and i often say and i often hear that those birds are said to sound like a robin that's had singing lessons i still have a pair of red-headed woodpeckers coming to the complimentary breakfast that i put out as their humble servant each day i had scarlet tanagers here but they seem to moved on a lot of monarch butterflies so that is pretty cool to see at least here in the yard and i listened to a wilson snipe and the air rushing over the wilson snipes outspread tail feathers create this haunting hoo 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 winnowing sound and they usually produce that sound when they die and this morning as i was filming the feeders i heard look at me way up high over here in a tree and that's the mnemonic for the red-eyed vireo and according to the guinness world records folks uh, 
a red-eyed vireo holds a record for singing the most songs. It one male sang twenty-two thousand one hundred and ninety-seven times in ten hours. So it's that uh, it gives everybody a goal today to see if you can match that. Um, Lake Sag, Lake Sagatagan, is in uh, the St. John's Abbey Arboretum, and it's a hundred and seventy-six acre lake. It's maybe it's I think it maximum is forty-two feet deep. And Lake Sag is a natural kettle or pothole lake, so it has no direct water inputs or outputs. It's recharged by underground springs plus rain and snow from the surrounding land. And the lake was originally called Lake St. Louis after King Louis of Bavaria. And then they changed it to Sagatagan. It's an Ojibwe word meaning punk or fungus outgrowth on trees used for the tinder, for tinder. Although some people say it was actually named after a, a chieftain. Well, anyway, whatever whoever it was named for, I walked the trails there, and I listened blissfully to Sandhill Cranes calling, and hearing the wood thrush sing uh, to Frito-Le or Eole. Aldo Leopold described the songs of the crane as high horns, low horns, silence, and finally pandemonium of trumpets, <laughs> rattles, croaks, and cries that almost shakes the bog with its nearness but without yet disclosing, disclosing whence it comes. And in Greek mythology, it was said that the alphabet was invented by the god Mercury while um, observing cranes. And the wood thrush, Thoreau described the sound of the wood thrush this way. It lifts and exhilarates me. It is inspiring. It changes all hours to an eternal morning. Uh, my eternal morning there did not last nearly long enough, but I did take the time to feed the mosquitoes. And my <laughs> blood will grow baby mosquitoes that might again bite me someday. Uh, Casey Kerrigan of Delavan sent me a photo of an indigo bunting. Just They're such beautiful birds. They just invite us to take photos of them. Uh, Roger Davidson and Tim Scott sent a Washington Post article. Why birds and their songs are good for our mental health. Uh, birds are a way to connect with nature, which is associated with better body and brain health, research shows. There was two studies published in scientific reports, and that saying that even listening to the recordings of bird songs through headphones can alleviate negative emotions. A second study found that listening to short, six-minute-long audio clips of birdsong could reduce feelings of anxiety, mm. depression, and paranoia. And then going out to see birds tends to encourage more physical activity, which has its own health benefits. So thanks, Roger and Tim. Do you think there's uh, some some uh, bird sounds that maybe make you more tense, though? You talked about relieving anxiety. You know, there's some birds that when they... they tweet or squawk or whatever that are more annoying than anything so i would say it depends on what kind of birds yeah maybe so i was sitting at a, a softball game last night and a, a guy from new Ulm came and sat by me and he said i gotta ask you a question <laughs> and he said i heard this thing out in my woods it sounds like a howler monkey and i've spent some time in costa rica and was awakened at about five thirty every morning <laughs> by howler monkeys so uh, maybe I didn't always find them uh, 
oh, I don't know, reassuring in any way, but it was good. I didn't have to set my alarm clock. So he played it because he said, it's just, it's, you know, I, I, I think I might know what it is, and then I don't know what mm-hmm. it is. And so maybe in that case, when you're trying to find things out, it turned out to be a barred owl oh. doing that monkey call. So so uh, he played it, and I told him right away, and uh, he was mystified and amazed that I could do that. So I didn't <laughs> tell him it was, you know, just a, a life wasted. You learn those things. So I just strutted around. And, uh, but it was nice of him to ask. Uh, Randy Chirpik, an old, uh, speaking of softball, an old softball teammate of mine from Fairmont sent me a photo of a gray catbird. Uh, Roger Davidson also sent me the Duluth Tribune. And uh, neither, I guess they have a little bit to do with nature because everything does, but one was the city of Duluth receives pothole claims, and the number of claims tends to coincide with the severity of that winter season. So people are sending them bills, and I will not accept a penny less than $432.19 for the damage to my car. And the city does not, they don't pay these claims because cities have a statutory uh, immunity and there's a common law immunity, so they don't. But the article was interesting. The other one that was kind of interesting was uh, Judy Garland's famed ruby slippers. Yeah. Some guy stole them from Grand Rapids like 18 years ago. Uh, Terry John Martin of Grand Rapids. So he was uh, the FBI did a sting kind of operation, and they sent to recovered slippers to Smithsonian's National Museum of American History, and they confirmed the authenticity. Uh, Michael Shaw, a Los Angeles collector and acting coach, owned the slippers at the time of the theft, and he accepted a $880,000 payout from his insurer. That would be like, what, 2005 or so. Wow. Uh, Dick and Kit Sales said they had a woodpecker bonanza in their backyard and a downy, hairy, red-headed, red-bellied, and pileated woodpeckers, plus a northern flicker and a yellow-bellied sapsucker all in one morning. And here's a question for a lot of listeners. Keep an eye out. Carol Wachter of Janesville says, Where are my tree swallows? I only saw one briefly. 20 years we have enjoyed them. Missing them. Hope you can solve this mystery. I told Carol. I don't have any in any of my nest boxes, so I, I don't know what's going on oh. here. I've seen them elsewhere, but I don't have any here. And TJ, Tom Jessen of St. Peter, said, I saw my first fox snake of the year last week along a hiking trail near the flooded woods along the Minnesota River. They seem to be late this year, so they usually emerge during the last week of April, and he sent some lovely photos of Did, snakes. And he also posted photos of the that awful stuff that you people use for erosion control it's that it's got that netting with some sort yep. of straw in it, and and he showed pictures of the fox snake stuck in that and i have seen garter snakes stuck in that stuff and that is like the worst killer for snakes because they get uh, entangled in that and it just basically strangles them to death and i have actually cut and rescued some out of that and i actually threw it all away i didn't realize um how harmful that is until well, TJ started posting stuff, and then I started noticing. So yep. I uh, refuse to use that. But it is that stuff that they use a lot of times for erosion control. It's netting. And then it's, uh, you know, like straw or something. And, and, yeah, it's really, really harmful for those poor snakes. 
and some of I see is plastic too, right? Yeah, yeah, it's or, a netting of some yeah. sort. Yeah, yeah, and that uh, of course that stuff just if it's got plastic, you know, in the Graduate, the movie, uh, the uh, Benjamin was said uh, he was given that helpful advice: plastics. That was the word he was given for the future, and I guess if he'd probably invested heavily in plastics, he would uh, he would have done all right. Because, but the problem is, it just lasts forever, and we've all seen uh, photos of uh, oh, like seabirds and things that have been swimming, and they get it over their neck, and mm-hmm. it just creates all kinds of problems. A uh, I got a listener asked two call, two questions here, and didn't. No, no name. Says the morning dove, the rain crow. My father called it the rain crow, but I've heard otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, to me, the yellow-bellied cuckoo is the rain crow. I grew up with that. When we were haying, we'd hear the yellow-bellied cuckoo doing. They do a real cuckoo kind of cuckoo sound, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's called a storm crow, and. We had to get the hay in, my dad would say, because that was a reason to get a store carter probably, too. But the bird has a habit of calling on hot days, so it often kind of predicts thunderstorms. I looked up uh, Merriam-Webster Unabridged Dictionary, and I like using Merriam-Webster's Unabridged Dictionary because that's the dictionary I have, so (laughs) it makes it easier. It says a rain crow is a black-billed or the yellow-billed cuckoo. And then it went on to say the rain dove is a nickname for the morning dove. I don't know how effective of a, a rain crow the morning dove is, because the ones in my yard just pretty much call. It seems like all the time <laughs> they're calling out here. So, And the other one was the stripes on the heads of the white-throated sparrows that were in my yard this spring vary in color. Why is that? Yeah, they have these striking stripes on the heads of white-throated sparrows, and they're either this white or tan. And uh, uh, Pete Dunn, a guy I know who's written a bunch of books, lives out in New Jersey, said white-throated sparrows come in two plumages, stunning and shabby. (laughs) And the two color forms are genetically determined. And an interesting thing, the males prefer females with white stripes. So if the male's got white stripes or tan stripes, he still likes females with white stripes. The problem is the females prefer tan stripes males. So again, it doesn't matter if the females have white stripes or tan stripes, they prefer tan stripe males. So I'm guessing it all works out one way or another, but it's interesting how all those things. So I'm glad you're seeing that. There is a great difference, and the ones with the white stripes just kind of jump out at you. And the last one I saw here in my yard, I haven't checked today to see if there are any, he had a, a leukism on his head. So instead of just white stripes, he had a white head. So I don't know if that's going to help him in the uh, romantic area or not. He's just a, a beautiful, beautiful bird, so I hope he does well. And I'm seeing hen turkeys wandering around, and I don't know if some of you are seeing them too. Uh, you know, the breeding season is April and May for wild turkeys. 
probably more middle of May than late May, and they they lay 8 to 15 eggs, and they don't incubate until they lay the last egg, so she could be still laying eggs. It takes 28 days to hatch. The chicks leave the nest within a day of their hatching. Mm -hmm. Uh, The youngs are called poults. They can fly in three to four weeks, but they'll stay with their mom for probably four months. The other thing that could happen is they could lose their nest, so re-nesting after losing eggs is normal. So it might be hens that are out wandering around that are still finishing up their laying, or it could be those that have lost their nest and are maybe searching for another place, saying, boy, i got to find a safer nest than that one. They do have problems with their creatures out there that love to eat eggs, just like us. So they might have, they lose them that way too. And then, boy, we get these wet springs, we have floods and uh, areas all of a sudden are underwater. And sometimes I'm sure that includes a, a turkey nest is underwater. So it's it's not easy being a wild turkey either. So Al, I've got a, a text from one of our listeners. Her name is Jennifer. Sure. She says, hello, ma'am. I'm ma'am and you're the bird guy. So she says, hello, ma'am. Please ask the bird guy about brood parasites. I know that cowbirds lay their eggs in the nests of other birds, and this makes my brain gears turn. Buckle up, kids. I have questions. She says, do the deadbeat mom birds check up on the babies they ditched, or do they just squeeze out the eggs and dip? How do the dad birds feel about their cheeky mamas leaving their babies with some stranger to raise and she said i'm assuming that the babies left in the stranger's nest will act like the host parents so how do the brood parasites find each other to make mate as adults if a cowbird was raised by wrens wouldn't he think he was a wren and be attracted to wrens or would he somehow just know to look for the freeloader ladies sneaking out of random nests? And she continues, why don't these shirkers raise their own dang babies? This kind of makes me mad the more I think about it. Do the brood parasites vet their hosts at all? What happens if the cowbird lays her eggs in the nest of like a hawk or something? Someone who eats a different kind of food than the cowbird? Will the baby cowbird live out its life pecking at rabbits, hungry and unsatisfied? (laughs) Or if the cowbird hatched in a loon nest, those birds can't even walk and cowbirds don't swim. What then? What if the host bird is a long-distance migrant? And speaking of host birds, will these fools raise any dang egg left in their nest? What would happen like an emu egg was left in the nest of a smaller bird thank you from jennifer (laughs) thank you jennifer it's great to hear from you those are great that's a great question or questions yeah i found uh, oh gosh i was doing a uh, we were doing a walk around a marshy area for bird watchers digest out in north dakota some years ago and we came upon, uh, not intentionally, we came upon a blue-winged teal nest, and it had a cowbird egg in it. So it was much smaller than the duck eggs. But, you know, these birds can lay up to 40 eggs. So you got this female cowbird, and when she has to lay an egg, she has to lay an egg. So she probably just follows any kind of bird wherever that bird goes, 
then she lays an egg. And they do their, they're like little bird detectives. They follow other birds around, they see where the nests are, and they kind of plan out their attack. But, you know, being in a duck nest, uh, nothing good's going to happen from that. They will, somebody, one of the DNR folks sent me a photo of a cowbird egg in a hawk nest. And I'm sorry, I don't remember what kind of hawk it was. I would think it'd be a red-tailed hawk. But, you know, that wouldn't be good either. Because if you do hatch, sooner or later, one of your siblings is going to look at you and say, you look more like Luntz than my brother. (laughs) That would probably be the end of that. So they aren't always wise, but they have this need to produce these eggs and get them out there. Some birds will throw them out of the nest. So they'll just say, no, that's, you wow. can't be doing that. And they'll, so they'll throw the eggs out. They will say uh, that the, the cowbirds, there's a mafia effect that some scientists say that the cowbirds, if somebody destroys the, the cowbird egg that they put as a parasitized nest, the cowbirds might come back and destroy some of the mother bird's eggs. Revenge, saying, wow. <laughs> yes, and don't be doing this anymore, you know, just, but I guess they don't do that to everybody. Yellow warblers will build a nest on top of the egg. So they'll build a nest and lay more eggs, and so they've uh, they had pictures of them where there's like four co- yellow <laughs> yellow warbler nests, one on top of another one, trying to get rid of the cowbirds. Uh, why do they do this? Well, boy, there's been all kinds of reasons. You know, they used to say, well, they followed the buffalo herds around. They probably did not, but they're genetically uh, wired to do this. They are, uh, they sing, the cowbird males sing, and the females, they mate, and then they go on with this. They have a fairly carefree life, I guess, although laying 40 eggs in 40 different nests, as a female might do, is, I, to me, that sounds like more work than have building a nest and raising your own young. How do the, you know, we all think about, well, maybe we raised a goose or something. So we're raising a goose, and pretty soon it says, you know, I think I'm a human. So it starts acting like we do. Why doesn't a cowbird do that? And I've wondered that forever. And what they believe now, science, is that the cowbirds come back and visit their babies. So they, the male might fly in even when they're still in the egg and sing his song. So that way the baby cowbird, it, when it's in the egg and when it hatches, it's hearing dad sing. He's out there singing away. And for some reason, they know that they are not a chipping sparrow. And we see a lot of chipping sparrows with a little kind of rufous-colored cap, just cute little birds, gray and brown. And they are one that raises the most cowbirds. Last year here, I watched a cardinal male feeding a young cowbird. But cardinal males feed everything, so I don't know if he raised that cowbird or if he just, the uh, cowbird had his mouth open and a male <laughs> cardinal just come over and shove something in there whenever it sees his mouth open. So they do realize that they're not a chipping sparrow. So they will, sooner or later, they will go find their own kind and join with the cowbirds and probably have all kinds of stories to tell about how they were raised and how their foster parents did this and did that. 
But it's it's amazing how this all works because you'd think there'd be just so many problems in this whole procedure that it would get messed up somewhere along the line and they would not be able to raise any young ones. But we see cowbirds everywhere. I worked out at uh, the Kirtland Warbler Festival out in Roscommon, Michigan, and they have huge, huge traps, wire cages that they catch the cowbirds. They're permitted to do this because the cowbirds were really hard on the Kirtland's warblers, which were um, an endangered species. So they trapped enough of them out there that the warblers kind of got a foothold, and now they're doing pretty well and kind of expanding their territory. While I was there uh, with a friend who was one of the guys in charge of this trapping, a cooper's hawk came just full speed and banged into that cage trying to get those cowbirds. And I don't know how many cowbirds there were in there, 40 maybe? There were a lot of them in there. So it was an interesting thing to watch how they do that. Uh, Otherwise, cowbirds are a protected species, so there isn't much we can do without a permit, as those good folks out near Roscommon had. So, so again, man, thanks, Jennifer. That was a great question, and I, I guess I could pontificate for a long time on this because it's, it's just such an amazing thing how this all happens, uh, how they can and, and not think they're a chipping sparrow. And you watch chipping sparrows, and they're feeding a baby cowbird, and it looks like the baby cowbird could eat the mother or father (laughs) chipping sparrow. They're that much bigger and just swallow them down. And I had somebody the other day ask, say, are cowbirds a problem in bluebird boxes or tree swallow boxes or chickadee boxes? It'd be difficult because the... The female would have to lay the egg through this tiny hole because she can't get into it. So she'd have to drop the <laughs> egg in there. So whether it survived that drop or not, I don't, there'd be a chance it would break. So it is probably not a problem. I've never seen one in a bluebird box. I'm sure somebody probably has, but I think it's a, a pretty rare occasion when that happens. Jen had one more question. Is does sure. the does the bird guy, meaning you, know about all birds or just Minnesota birds? Wondering if I could ask about birds from other places. Uh, I. I am a a birder. I've traveled around, worked in Costa Rica and the U.K. and Europe and uh, Mexico chasing birds around. So (laughs) I I know some about birds in other areas. Uh, Do I know everything? No. Nobody knows everything. I heard a, a call of a bird this spring that made me think it was something else and I had to listen to it forever before I realized it was a black and white warbler that does a little different call in the morning. And now I've heard uh, on one of our listservs a bunch of people have experienced the same thing recently. So they're all learning that this wasn't a call they they thought it was, and they've been birders for all their lives, I think. So it's always something that surprises us and changes the way we think about things. And boy, isn't that good, because it's just uh, wonderful to learn all these things. So uh, be happy to hear anything you come up with, Jennifer. Uh, do, does, t- this is a text, does take a gander 
come from the gander. Hmm. Well, a gander is a, uh, a male goose. And we watched some yesterday. They have, they have goslings now. There's little goslings everywhere. And you watch some mother. She's down there saying, eat this grass, eat this grass, eat this grass, <laughs> eat this grass. And the gander, he's the guy standing up there saying, you know, He's like, if he had fingers, he'd be pointing at his eyes and then pointing at you, saying, I'm watching you, buddy. I don't like the way your looks. You're up to something. So the use of gander to mean look comes from that long, flexible neck of the goose, or the gander, like a gooseneck lamp. A rubber-necking gander plays this sentinel, craning his neck to examine any intruder. So that's where, that's where to take a gander so you were correct hey thanks everybody man thanks for uh, sitting on the front porch with us you know i was having lunch between classes when a man i didn't know took the seat next to me it was kind of crowded in the lunch area so you just sit down and said his name was bob and he asked if i'd like to see photos of his autopsy <laughs> uh, I I paused for a while because I didn't know I, I'd never had anyone ask me that before, <laughs> and he didn't wait for my answer. You know how folks are; if they want to tell you something, they just go on. And he showed me printed photos of him on a gurney, <laughs> and he appeared to have had an autopsy performed on his body, and then it was sewed back together. That his large stitches covered his torso. And he explained he'd been in a movie. He played the part of a dead guy in a movie. And, oh, I don't remember the name of the movie, and more's the pity. But he gave me a button reading, share a smile with a stranger. (laughs) And I appreciate Bob. It's a good idea. Remember Heartland is while we're driving past. Thanks for listening. Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Karen, I enjoyed your company so much. Uh, Gail showed me the photos of your lovely dandelions. Aren't so they pretty, the pink was, ones? Yeah, you they know, they're, are. they're pink on the outside. They got a little yellow in the inside, and they are not invasive like, well, like the other dandelions. Because it's interesting, after they get done blooming, the top just sort of stays shut and it's only if you pick them that the the fluff comes out. So they don't um, tend to go all over the place, which is kind of nice because I, I I like them for pink, but I don't need them everywhere. So that was beautiful, and you answered my question before I got it out. Oh, so I appreciate that. <laughs> I was going to ask if it was invasive. So it's not actually kind of interesting, um, and maybe that's why nice they're they're rarer and and you don't see them everywhere probably. Well, that is great. Uh, yeah, they they were beautiful. And uh, I, I was happy to see them. And the the uh, pollinators do love them, after all. So that's good too. It, that's uh, that is wonderful. All right. Well, I'll let you go, and we'll chat with you next week. And uh, appreciate our listeners sending us questions and observations. It's always great to to hear from others. And and thanks, Al. It's always great to chat with you. Thank you very much. Thank you, everyone. Have a grand day. Bye bye. Our good friend Al Bat. This is Andara with an alien in Minneapolis on the Maverick.